welcome to your Fiercely Fabulous Life podcast. I'm Shelley Qualteri, your host. This podcast was created for you, the woman who wants more in her life, for her family, and in her relationships. We're going to spend time creating inspiration and motivation while providing you with tangible, practical strategies and tools for your life to find greater happiness, love, and fulfillment. I will provide you with real-life takeaways that have you not only thinking about, but taking action to create your fiercely fabulous life. Now let's get started. Welcome back, everybody. I am so excited to introduce today Lauren Hope Cleveland, who is the founder and business owner of To Serve and Connect, and she's a transformational coach. To Serve and Connect is a not-for-profit organization that works with first responders' spouses. This is so exciting. I love this. It helps the spouses navigate the lifestyle of their partner being a first responder, helping them recognize when there is emotional injury, and acknowledging the role that the partner plays while helping to empower them to reach out for support when they need it. Lauren spent the first eight years of her career working in the corrections institution for women in Edmonton. And then also during that time, Lauren was having her own struggles with anxiety, health issues, insomnia, and even addictions. So when Lauren had her second child, she decided that she could not go back into working within that area. So this is how she came up with this amazing idea of to serve and connect and this transformational coaching. I can't wait to dig in with Lauren today. When Lauren is not busy doing all these amazing, cool things, first responder wise, she is the mom of two incredible little guys and the wife of a police officer. So let's get started with Lauren. Good afternoon, Lauren. I am so excited that you're here on your Fiercely Fabulous Life podcast. I'm really excited about our conversation today because you and I are just kind of starting to get to know each other, but I love the work that you do and I love the purpose and the intention. So I'm really excited for everybody to hear from you today. So let's start with you telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do and what your company is. Okay. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so, I'm so excited to be here too. So I really appreciate the invite. Um, my name is Lauren Cleveland. I, um, I work with first responder spouses. So this is something that's kind of morphed over the last couple of years. So I did uh, life coaching with Tony Robbins strategic intervention And then I just kind of started life coaching um, people that I knew or people that heard about me from other people. And then I had a cousin who went through a significant incident with her husband, um, who's a firefighter. And um, I saw her really struggling um, with life and kids and a husband who was sent off to a facility to work on his addictions and post-traumatic stress disorder stuff. And um, I started working with her and just kind of giving her that, like, that self-discovery piece and holding her up while he was away and knowing what it's like to be a first responder spouse. So I'm married to a police officer, but I also was a first responder um, years and years ago (laughs) at a women's prison. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your transition um, and how you found your way into this because, um, yeah, you were at a women's prison and you're married now to a police officer and have really, I guess, moved in the direction that you're still really passionate about that area and supporting that particular uh, field of work. So what was it that drew you there? How did you transition from being a first responder yourself to the work that you do? And tell us first, what is the name of your, your business and what is it that you do within that piece of it? And then okay. the transition. Okay. My business is, uh, it's actually, it, it was a business and it's actually turning into a nonprofit at this time. So I'm in the transition of doing the both, doing both of them. So um, what I saw was a need for connection and community with first responder spouses. And so I created essentially a retreat that I was going to host. And then all of a sudden I saw the need for other things, obviously when COVID came in. So it is called to serve and connect. We are a business at this point, but transitioning into a nonprofit, which has a lot of things that come along with it, but I'm super excited to learn all of those things. Um, Yeah. So it's, it's about connection resources, community for first responder spouses. Uh, because, and this is where the transition happens is because when I was a first responder, um, I struggled with some significant, um, trauma and addiction issues. And my poor husband, same guy I'm with now who decided to become a police officer right? as I I decided that I didn't want to be a first responder anymore. Um, he, he sat back and you know, just felt like, I don't know what to do with you. I don't know how to help you. I don't know what to say to you. Um, I, he just kind of let me go along my merry way with um, drinking myself to sleep most most nights. Um, And the thing that really clicked for me was, um, or changed the way things, what the trajectory of my life, I guess, was I found out I was pregnant. And uh, which at the time really sucked because my best friend told me, you know, you have to try for a long time. Once you go off the pill, you have to, like, you won't get pregnant right away. Right. Which was not, not my experience at all. I was pregnant, like, right away. Um, Me too. So I, <laughs> so I was like, shit, how am I going to sleep tonight? Like, I, um, so I actually started working on myself um, instead of drinking and um, taking medication and numbing, you know, all of those feelings. I did go back to the prison after that child and I watched myself spiral out of control again mm-hmm. and just very tense a lot of stress a lot of um I was carrying around a lot of things and I wouldn't say it was necessarily everything that I had seen or um there's a culture there right that just it's it crushed my soul I was involved in investigations I was involved in a lot of like um, critical incident stress management situations that were not great. And, um, after I had my second child, I decided that, um, I would not go back. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. mm -hmm. So when, um, I have lots of questions for you. (laughs) I love this. I'm so excited. (laughs) Yeah. So let's just rewind just a little bit. You mentioned, um, you started out by supporting your cousin. Yes. who had a husband who was a firefighter and had been 
and had to be hospitalized for some maybe of the, his own challenges and things that were happening for him at that time. What did you see were some of the challenges she was faced with? Were they similar to what your husband was faced with when he was trying to support you as that first responder? What were some of those commonalities? What were you finding when maybe now you step back and you take a look? Well, I would say the com- the commonality was that they didn't realize what was happening. I think the awareness piece is huge, not only for the first responder, but for the people surrounding them, because I didn't know what was happening to me. I had no idea. I literally thought I was managing this very well. Um, and, yeah. and like I say this again, because the culture, um, you know, promotes drinking and promotes taking sleeping pills and promotes, you know, like um, all of those sorts of things. So if you can't sleep, you just have a drink and some Benadryl. It's like no big deal. It's what we do. So I, I think it is when you're outside that culture, um, it's hard for you to figure out what's going on. But also when you're inside that culture, there's this piece that you're almost disconnected from it. And there's not an awareness as to like how messed up this actually is. Mm-hmm. So she, she was kind of like, oh, I just thought this is what they do. They like drink in the garage and blah, blah, blah. But um, when he kind of stepped away, she said like hindsight was twenty twenty for her, which is the same for my husband, um, that you know, there were all these warning signs, but I didn't pick up on them because he had me believe that this was very normal Mm -hmm. as a reaction to the career that he chose. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I've worked in that system as well. I've worked in maximum security prisons as well. And I found for myself, and I'd love to hear your perspective is that, um, people don't really understand what it's like working and hearing the stories and seeing what goes on. And, you know, um, behind behind the bars so to speak or behind you know the mask of the uniform whether that's police or fire or or paramedic that um this is the job we chose and we're supposed to be able to carry it so we just don't really talk about it unless it's talking about it with our our colleagues and then in my in my experience it's been a lot more of the black humor and you know some of those truly challenging conversations but never really how it's bothering us oh absolutely absolutely it um it's interesting because um I have friends that I worked with um in the institution for years who most of my friends aren't there anymore it's um it's something I don't feel like most people can do long term especially if um, they do maximum security or, or anything like that. Most of them go in, do corrections and then do like parole or, um, whatever else they move, do programs. But I, I remember having conversations with my friends a couple years ago and we we're all talking about how we were struggling, but none of us talked about it then. <laughs> like this is probably seven years after all of us kind of were going through something significant and then seven years later we're all putting the pieces together going oh I was feeling that way too oh I was struggling with this oh remember when they did that investigation I don't think I slept for six months like it was so crazy to me that these conversations were happening years and years and years later and not happening when we were actually going through all of the shit so yeah absolutely and and how long did you do that role? Like, how long were you in that, that, the system? I did it for eight years. And I was, uh, I was actually the youngest uh, female 
correctional officer hired. I was 22 years old at the time. It could have changed now, but when I went in in 2004, yeah, I was the youngest female correctional officer hired in Canada. Wow, that is amazing. <laughs> yeah, so, I actually was shocked they hired me. I was like, yeah, <laughs> no, way. no way, this is what I got hired to do. But whatever, I did. Oh, yeah, and and it's so it's so interesting because I started my career. I was still actually in university, finishing university when I got hired on, and I did it for seven years. And I was one of about five female um, officers in the prison system in Calgary at that time. So that was back in 91. So it was very different. It was really challenging um, in one coming, coming into a very male dominated male culture where they already don't talk a lot about their feelings to begin with. And then we're trying to deal with these big situations and traumas and, you know, scary stuff um, when you're working in a prison system for, you know, a, a lot of people when you're there, especially when you're in your young, your, you know, early 20s trying to navigate this. What do you think or how do you think it impacts people who maybe have been in this system for 20 years now and they're dealing with these traumas and how are you seeing maybe this impacting their spouses years on? I think the impact I found with uh, most of the spouses that I work with is they feel very separated. Right. That's that's his job. That's, we don't really talk about that a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Although they're invested in their partner, it's a very separate identity because we know um, that first responders hugely identify with their role as um, a firefighter or whatever. It's it's ingrained in their identity. Yeah. Um, So it's very hard for them to relay to their spouse. Like, this is what it's like. This is how it feels. Um, so they, they almost have this like disconnect, but there's a lot of codependency I see with first responder spouses is that, and I find myself doing, I find myself doing a lot of these things too. So I'm, but I'm very aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, like my husband's job comes before anything I do. Um, I owned a business. I owned an activewear store for five years and it was like, oh, if my husband has to work, then I have to figure this out. If the kids are homesick, it's not like a it's not like a little partnership there because he has to go to work or he has to go to court. Like the day I was diagnosed with cancer in 2017 and my husband was at court when I was diagnosed and it was kind of like, I, I have this little piece of independence um, that I love, but at the same time there's like, Oh, you should have been there for that kind of thing. But I know that that job doesn't, you don't get to just decide that he doesn't go to court that day because that's the day that they um, were going to do a biopsy or whatever it is. So there's a lot of um, disconnect there, but there's also a lot of codependency, which is a little bit messed up. But I mean, that's what I'm seeing. Right. So when you're doing your, um, you know, your conference, your, your connection and that community place or coaching first responders, um, spouses, is that the theme that comes up a lot? And how how do you have that conversation with them? How does one kind of put into different boxes, I guess? You know, well, this is their job, but this is our marriage. Where does that divide happen? How do we continue going? I mean, we know lots of first responders um, 
marriages can become very challenged. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it, the part that I uh, is probably my favorite part is um, when I work with a first responder spouse, I'm always like, okay, tell me about you. Tell me, you know, your history. What do you do? Where you come from? Tell me who you are. Mm-hmm. And lots of times they don't know. They've been right. kind of following on this tail. Co- and not to say that they don't are, aren't like super brilliant, own their own businesses, do these own things. There's this, this piece of self-discovery that they kind of have to go through to figure out how to meet that their spouse where their spouse is. Um, because there is a lot of disconnect. Um, I try to create this like, oh, figure out where you are so you can meet them where they are. Um, because a lot of times the, the spouse is behind either on either side. One person's here and you can't see my hand. So this doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I feel like there's always this like little piece of self-discovery. And sometimes the spouse has to be... Um, Sometimes I work with the spouse, the other, like the first responder too, to be like, okay, where are we? Where do we start from? Who are you? Um, because a lot of times people don't know that stuff, right? So yeah. there's, yeah. I and, and do you find when you ask them like the first responder, that question, that is how they identify first and foremost of like, oh, I'm yeah. not Shelly, I am police officer yeah. or I am firefighter. And then Shelly is second. Yes. Yes. And I find that that spouses identify the same. So not the first responder. They kind of like identify the same, that their their role is like the mother and the um, the stay-at-home person and the person who runs the kids around and the person that does this because we know that, you know, shift work isn't conducive to, you know, relying on your spouse. <laughs> it's very, you know, you're, you're, you take on a lot of things. So you get lost. Yeah. Right? And your yeah. spouse is also taking on a lot of things, so they get lost. So mm-hmm. I work mostly with the first responder spouse, the, the typically female, um, and they will almost like bridge the gap between the first responder and be like, oh, this is what I'm working on. Oh, this is what I'm doing. I'm learning all of these things. And then the, then the first responder will come to me. Not typically, but sometimes that happens, going, oh, I see my wife doing this. So where do I fit in? Right. Because right. they see her leveling up a little bit going, I've lost myself here. I need to get back to where um, I feel like me, not in the, um, not in the chaos. I want some peace. I want some joy. I want to make all this work. I want to be, um, you know, there for my husband or boyfriend or whatever it is and um, create less chaos. That's, I think that's the number one thing is there's a lot of chaos, a lot of, instability a lot of time management but a lot of flexibility so we're we struggle in this ball of chaos yeah and you know I haven't worked with a lot of first responder spouses but I have seen some and I think the thing that you know really popped out for me was that they felt very much um uncertain of their partner's emotional well-being because they would just come home from shift after like a traumatic incident or event had happened and they would be either 
you know, kind of one side of the spectrum or the other really down and not able to talk about it because it was so overwhelming. They would kind of go into their shell or they would be so fiery that the house was like walking on eggshells. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think that was sort of the, the takeaway that I've had when trying to help and support uh, the few women that I have in this role. So when you're thinking about all of these different components about juggling, like the time management, the kids, the life, the emotion, the relationship, the job, <laughs> mm-hmm. all of these things as the spouse that you're trying to do, what are some of those big takeaways that you um, would, would like people to know, like that's, you know, air quotes, normal when you're living with a first responder, like these highs and lows are normal because some of the things that we've seen and that we've heard and that we've done are not normal to sort of the general public, right? It's like bad movie stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I, I know that there's been bad stuff that my husband's been on, or I remember, significant things that I had been on there has to be a time for a decompression and I I know this um this well um so there has to be a time or something that you agree upon that you communicate like when I get home off shift I just need 20 minutes or um when I get home off shift I need we have a deal in our house where my my husband works two days and then two nights I'm not allowed to have people over when he gets off night shift so I'm like one of those people that like loves to have people over and play games. And yeah. my husband says, I am not interested in talking to people when I come off night shift, whether it's because I have to go back the next night or whether it means I'm off. It's like, that's an off limits. I'm welcome to make friends with my friends and leave the house and him stay here with the kids. But there are not allowed, there are not allowed people in this house because most of the time he's tired. He's decompressing from everything he's been through over the last four days. He has more crap on his plate than he had the last time he came off shift. And he doesn't want to answer police questions or a bunch (laughs) of stuff that people are going to ask him. So he's like, I just need that day. Um, So we have, we have that understanding, but I mean, that took us a long time to get here. And I know lots of times we want to know and we're excited or, you know, something's happened. I know for me, we live in Camero. So like there's, you know, internet all over the place. Like people are like, what's happening with the police at the gas station? I want to know. And my husband's not answering his phone and I'm panicking or whatever, but um, I know that he has to have that time. So sometimes it's even just like, if you think you have to sit in your car for half an hour, because you don't, you know, when he gets home, the kids are like, dad, can we do this? Dad, can we get this? So it's a conversation, you know, leave your dad alone when he gets home. Sometimes he just sits in the driveway and do decompresses in his truck listening to his music um but there's yeah there's gotta be there's gotta be communication regarding about around this and I think that's where we struggle most is like they're not communicating with us they just want us to leave them alone and we're not communicating with them because we're mad now that they're not communicating with us (laughs) yeah there's a lot of yeah there's a lot of things that go into it and sometimes it could be the silliest call that we think, oh, it might not have affected us, but it really affected our spouse. Or, um, you know, there could be something big happening and he can come home and I'll be like, okay, do you want to talk about it? He's like, no, not really. I'm like, are you affected by it? Tell me what's going on. And he's like, no, like didn't bother me at all. So, but you find the things that bother you and you find the things that don't like I, I always, and this is going to sound morbid as all craziness. (laughs) I prefer to go to a hanging when I worked at the jail, this sounds so nuts. 
but I, if it was a slashing or there was blood involved, those were not my calls. I hated those calls more than anything. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was like, if there was a hanging, I'm like, I can handle a hanging. I can take that on. But the second there's blood involved, I'm like, get me out of here. I can't handle this. And I found those to be harder for me to like transition out of. Mm-hmm. A hanging for me wasn't so bad. I don't know why. It just wasn't. As, and no, I never had anyone die. So I can say that because I never mm-hmm. had anyone die. We always saved them. Um, would have there have been a death that I couldn't save? Sure. I think that might have changed. But I always was like, send me the hanging. Don't send me the slashing. That was <laughs> Yeah. And and that's, you know, that's the important thing of also knowing what our triggers are, right? If we're that Mm -hmm. first responder of what, what are those big things that are going to be a trigger for us that when we get home is going to be harder or worse on our family because emotionally we're in even a worse place than we maybe were. And absolutely. I agree. There's definitely things that I knew were my triggers and, and I was like, Oh no, I can't do that one. But this is totally okay. And these are exactly the conversations that, you know, sort of the normal, the normal general public is like, oh my gosh, like what? Like, (laughs) this is not a normal job. Yeah. (laughs) Right. But it's part of, it's part of what comes with the job, Um, you know, and hard and tough stuff. Same thing when I worked in child welfare, hard and tough and yucky stuff. So what do you think are some of the big myths that come with the role of either first responder or for their partners? What are some of those big myths that you've experienced that come along with that? Ooh, the big myths. Uh, well, I, I know that lots of people will say to me like, oh, isn't it wonderful? Your husband gets like half the year off because they're four days on four days off. Yeah, And I'm like, mm, that would be nice. Yeah, yeah. I, let me just correct you on that for just a second. Because yeah. uh, he works two days and he works two nights. So I never count that one that he gets off the night. So there we go. We already lose a day. So then he gets three days off. Um, and typically there's court. Typically there's training. Typically there's this. And I, I, I don't think my family would survive in like a Monday to Friday lifestyle, honestly, because we do work around the shift work and we we really do okay with those shift work but I mean he goes to work for 12 hours sometimes much longer he leaves mm-hmm. here at, if he works a day shift he leaves here at about five o'clock in the morning and he gets home at about seven o'clock at night mm-hmm. uh, sometimes seven thirty, sometimes eight o'clock depending on how much paperwork he has so like the days that my husband works I do not depend on him for anything yeah but, like nothing. <laughs> if he comes home to put a kid to bed, I, it's like a party in my house. Because I'm like, Woo! I don't have to do it all four nights. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there's a lot of myths, um, I think, around that. Like, they're like, oh, it's so nice. He gets four days off. And I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah well, we don't look at it like that. Um, it is nice. The days off are nice. But then there's always court. There's always other things that pop up. Um yeah, I, I would say, like, another thing, too, people are like, oh, you know, like, what do you know? Yeah, I don't know anything. Like, I, I literally, most of the time, I find out stuff from police wives, and then I come home, and I say to my husband, why didn't you not tell me that, right? Like, yes. how come you didn't tell me what was going on? There's also been, like, investigations or things that have happened that I don't know about um, at work, and I know for me, 
one of my biggest things was I was involved in a couple investigations um, and those weighed heavy on my heart. Um, Mm -hmm. It caused me a lot of stress. Um, And if I don't know those things, then I I can't help him. So we're, he's much better now at communicating um, those sorts of things, but I still find out stuff from police wives and I'm like, I had no idea that happened. I had no idea that was going on. Um, So I do have a really good crew of people that keep me informed if he chooses not to give me the information, which is why I think it's so important to create that community and create that connection because we do find out stuff from other people, whether you, whether it's in our um, memberships as, you know, police officers or corrections officers or whatever, but it's like connecting with other people that live this lifestyle. And I, I'm, I'm cautious to say this lifestyle, but at the same time, it's like, it is a lifestyle. If you don't live it, you do not understand it at all. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think the other part, you know, that when you were talking is that, you know, he has four days, you know, four days on, four days off. But when you have seen and experienced trauma and significant events, it doesn't shut off at the end of shift. No, and it carries through. And uh, that Kevin Gilmartin book, Emotional Survivor for the Law Enforcement Family, I think that's what it's called. He talks a lot about that, how it actually takes about six days to come off of it. Um, but we're throwing them in hypervigilant. Like they come home, there's still a lot of adrenaline, a lot of um, physiological things happening. Their brains can't shut off because they're worried about, you know, getting this done. And the person who called who had the crap stolen out of their backyard the other day, and they're thinking about, you know, where that could have gone and the, the whatever it is. Um, mm-hmm. they, have a lot, they have a lot of things happening, a lot of files and a lot of, um, extras. And so I find, yeah, it, we, if my husband takes holidays, he'll get 12 days off. I find it about day eight, he's starting to relax. And then it's yeah. like, Oh, you go back to work in three days. Right. Like, yeah, um, ju- he's just kind of starting to come down. And I remember that like so well, um, when I worked in corrections, it was just like this constant state of anxiousness, anxiety, um, worrying about what was going to happen about this, constantly thinking about um, certain things. I had no control over most of them, but I mean, it's your job and um, you just do it and you stay in this like arousal state that is so hard to come down from. A lot of times it'll be like if I find him um, feeling anxious or like, like, oh, I have so much stuff to do or he'll want to go in on his days off just to get stuff done because then he can't get called out for something. He's just in there doing his work. Um, mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, let's go for a walk. Let's talk about it. Let's, um, I know getting him outside and I know this works for a lot of people like outside nature, um, away from home and, you know, yard work and all of those other things that, yeah. Uh, and some people love the yard work. Some people think that that is a de-stressor, but I mean, for us, it's like, you know, we'll, we'll pick up and go for a walk, even 20, 30 minutes, mm-hmm. um, kind of like, has them step out of that, right? Step out of that moment and be present. Because I, I know for me too, like I was never present. I was always like, what's coming? What's going to happen? Is this, you know, constantly like, what if, what if, what if, what if? Um, and I know as a, my husband is a police officer and it's different for first responders. It's like, did I do what I was supposed to do? Um, yeah. Just come back. Um and especially with everything going on in the world right now, they're, they're extremely cautious. 
Um, And it's tough for us as spouses to watch our people go through this and support them in any way we can. But this is like so beyond anything we've ever seen before in regards to like hatred that Mm -hmm. um, we're unlearning as everybody else is. So, yeah. So kind of leading on from that, what, like, how do you hope to be able to impact or support or help the the spouses, especially in this time that we're living in right now? You know, what is, what is sort of your focus or your goal right now in these moments in this, you know, ever changing day by day, almost hour by hour mm-hmm. world that we're living in first, you know, COVID. And now we have the, the black My lives matters, um, you know, movement that's happening bigger than ever before and needed, but how do you help to hope impact? I want to, because I feel like people are feeling so small right now that they, Mm -hmm. they don't have a voice. Um, And I know that first responder spouses, including myself have posted things on social media and been like completely annihilated. Um, with comments and hurtful things and deleting people from their life that they thought were friends with them. Or, um, you know, I had, uh, a lady who I'm, I'm open to learning. I'm open to understanding, you know, everything that is happening. And I had posted something saying like, I am, um, I'm open to learning and listening and knowing all the things but it is like a process that I know I can't handle in a week because I also support police spouses and police. Yeah. And uh, I was like, just ripped, which I was like, okay, tell me what I need to know. Like, tell me, how is this wrong? I don't understand. Um, But then it got like attacking. Um, There was some stuff that happened outside of the post and I, I had to block someone and I thought, no, I I have to do this for my self care because Um, I actually don't need this and I'm, I'm open to your opinion, but I'm also not open to being attacked. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of first responder, well, police wives, I can't say that for the other first responder areas as much, but have been like, I've deleted people. Um, we're thinking about moving. Um, our family's been threatened. So I think the impact that I want to have there is just allowing people to feel comfortable enough to speak about it with other people who understand it because you can go online and preach it to the choir, but if people don't understand it, they will never understand. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, we're going through something hard right now, in addition to the black lives matter thing, in addition to COVID, in addition to like when all of this happened, my son was like bit by a dog in the face and we were in the hospital and my husband was like having eye issues. And, but, and it was like, I need to take a step back and figure out what's right for me. And I feel like at this point, that's what I'm doing with first responder spouses. Let's take a step back. How can we support just your family? We're not worried about the other people because a lot of them are trying to like learn everything and figure it all out. And they're getting burnt out. Yeah. They're feeling attacked. And um, that sucks. That's a crappy place to be, especially when you do support your spouse. And you're like worried about, you know, their job when they're talking about like the defunding and they're talking mm-hmm. about like uh, the riots and police getting hurt. And I mean, in Canada, we're in a different situation than the U.S., but I also work with people in the U.S. So I'm learning 
a lot of the the things that are happening down there. And I think it's just telling everybody to stay, stay, take a step back and let's worry about your family unit. Let's not worrying about supporting an entire country um, because as much as we would love to, we're, we're not there. We're not in the, the space to do that as a, as an individual. Yeah. And it, and it is going to be small bite-sized pieces step-by-step step to be able to figure all of this out. And you're right. you got, you are in this kind of middle zone of you've got a husband who is a police officer and more than likely than not is wanting to do well and do good and, you know, is part of the, the positive. Um, but then there's this other movement where there are challenges, you know, for that whole career with everything that's going on in the U.S. as well as in Canada right now. And, yeah, that would be definitely a hard line to walk. So I think, you know, asking people to be gentle on, on all of you right now as well because it is. It's a huge learning process for all of us, never mind having to walk the duo line of navigating it. Yeah, it, it's been, and I, I, I know people get like really upset about like, well, they didn't show the whole video or, um, which we're finding. Um, and that's a lot of it too. It's like stepping away from the media because um, I have been a part of um, a media investigation that was aired on like W5. And um, I remember watching it going, oh my gosh, that's not even the whole story. Like mm-hmm. I, I was so frustrated. Um and now I'm just, I have to remember, like, they're not telling the whole story because they're telling a story to invoke emotion and create whatever it is they want to create. And that's what's happening here. And I'm, I'm telling, like, first responders, fellows, stay away from media. Just do your thing because this will create so much more um, anger for you as a mm-hmm. spouse, which isn't helpful in moving all of this movement forward, right? You're just going to get angry. You're going to be like, I'm going to post something and it's going to perpetuate the system. And right. we, we don't need that for ourselves right now. And we we're welcome to have our opinions. Um, but you have to be cautious with where you post those. And um, there's a lot of like first responder spouses, you know, like pages and stuff like that, where you, you feel safe to post those things. Mm-hmm. Um, like just focus on that and you'll get, some different feedback from people and I I've been following a lot of like uh, Black Lives Matter things and police things and and you can support both I know that you can um but but it can't be very public because you just get you get a lot of anger and you get a lot of hatred and that's what we see in the world right now so I'm just like choosing to step back and I know it's been positive for my family and my mental health and my, mm-hmm. uh, my ability to support other people. Because when I'm riled up in these conversations and I'm trying to, you know, tell them my side and they're trying to tell me their side, I will never know what that's been like for them. But in, on the, in hindsight, they will never know what this has been like for me. So we're yeah. trying to like meet each other, but I'm like, this is not helping. This isn't helping because, um, I'm getting angry because you don't understand my side and you're getting angry because I don't understand yours. So I'm going to sit back. I'm going to do the work. And when I feel like maybe I have a tiny grasp on what you've gone through, I might say something. But at this point, I'm just like stepping back, checking myself, making sure my people are good. Yeah. That is what I'm doing. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's a long, it's a long process. It's a lot of learning as well. Right. So, I mean, you started talking a little bit about that self care and, you know, part of this podcast about being fiercely and fabulous is about, you know, you as well and, and building you up to be the best version of you and all those other mamas and working women and, you know, people that are out there. So what makes you feel inspired and like your best self? Is it that self care? Is it the job that you do? But what makes you feel, you know, super inspired and, and the best version of you? Um, one of the things that is like my have to is I have a morning routine. So I typically get up around 530. And mm-hmm. I have I used to only have about an hour and a half to myself, but COVID's changed that. So now my kids yeah. are home all day long. <laughs> um, so now I have a little bit more because I don't make them get up at seven. Um, yeah. But I, I, I have a morning routine, I read, I meditate, I journal, I usually have a quick workout. And I feel like that's where I do most of my work, because I know when the kids get up, it's like, can we do this? We have homework. Um, depends on if my husband's home that day or not. Um, they want to have friends over later. So if I can get my stuff done first thing in the morning, I don't feel anxious, like, oh, I didn't get in that workout. Oh, I feel like um, there's so many other things I could have done with this time. And it's like, okay, my time's done. Now it's time to focus on the kids and my husband and those sorts of things. Of course, I have to like schedule in podcasts in the afternoon and meetings in the morning. But I mean, at between 530 and seven, nobody's bothering me. They're not. Yeah, exactly. I never check my email. I never check my email until seven o'clock. So which is what I've done now is like 530 to seven. I don't check email. I do my reading and my meditating and all of that. And then at seven o'clock, I'll check on email. I'll reply to all the emails. And then I typically don't check it again till about four till I know, um, unless like you're, you were sending me a link or like, I know something's coming in, um, because it can take over my day. It will Mm -hmm. literally take over every single thing. So I kind of map out the day, like between the five 37, I figure out like, what does today look like? I've written it in my day timer. Okay. How is this going to all play out? And, um, I feel ready and I feel um, less anxious. I'm kind of an anxious person to begin with. So yeah. that like grounding in the morning, um, sometimes I'll get in another self-care thing in the day, like a, a bath late at night or a nice walk while I listen to a podcast. Um, but I mean, if I don't, I've, I'm okay because I've already done it. Yeah. Um, How hard was it for you to kind of develop that morning routine for yourself. Cause I work with lots of women and lots of moms and I hear so often I'm too busy. I'm so busy. I never get time to myself, the kids. And it's really hard for people to kind of wrap their heads around for most times, especially for moms. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. We do need to get up at five thirty or six o'clock in the morning to have that quiet time. Otherwise, the day is gone, and well, then maybe we're not the best version of who we want to be. So, how easy or hard was it for you to build this routine in? Okay, it was hard. Um, yeah, at first it was so because I didn't adjust my bedtime. So what happened was I was like eleven thirty at night, you know, watching Netflix, having a glass yeah. of wine. <laughs> thinking I can get I can get up and it started at six so it started as an hour and then I realized that I needed more than that so now it's an hour and a half um but yeah it started 
So I really had to adjust my bedtime and start like, and start giving myself a bedtime routine, which is so crazy because we do this for our kids, yet we don't recognize that we also need this. Yes. Um, Like having a bath, washing my face, getting prepared, getting into bed, reading a book for a few minutes. Like I, I have a routine, obviously, you know, there's nights where we have friends over or whatever, and it's very different, but for the most part, I am starting at about 930, getting myself to sleep, getting myself prepared to go to sleep. If I don't do the preparation, it takes a little bit longer, um, yeah. but I'm usually asleep by like 10, 1030. And then I, ha- I, and I know I need about seven hours sleep. There's a good, um, a good app called the sleep cycle. You mm-hmm. can actually see where um, you're waking up or where your like um, rapid eye movement sleep is your deep sleep. And you can see how many cycles you need. It's actually brilliant. Um, so you can, if you download that app, I think it costs money now. Um, yeah. It'll and it'll wake you up like quietly in your least amount of or in your um, in your not in your REM sleep, so your lightest sleep. Yes. Um, it's it's yeah. You'd have you'd have to download it and use it to figure it out. But it took me about thirty days to realize I need between six and seven hours of sleep. Um, and then I was like, oh, okay, well, if I can get up at 5.30, then I have to be in bed by this time. Um, sometimes I'm in bed later and I'm still up at 5.30, but I've been doing this for five years now. So I, I just get up at 5.30 most days naturally now. Yeah. Um, and one thing I said, there was a book by Mel, Rob, Mel, Mel, Rob, Mel Robbins. Yeah. Yeah. Mel Robbins. Yeah. I get Tony Robbins and Mel Gibson. And <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who it is. It's called the five second rule. And yes. Yeah. I like set my alarm and I, I'm like, I'm not allowed to hit snooze. Yes. Um, And a friend of mine actually told me this uh, one time. She said, you know, if you hit snooze, you're like basically starting your morning off with a lie. Yeah. Right. It's like, oh, I'll get up at six. Oh, never mind. I'll get up at six 15. So it's like, I couldn't hit snooze. And I would lay in bed and do like five, four, three, two, one. And I would just get up. Yes. And it sucked for like, probably a month and yeah. then it was like just get up because I, I I knew that month was the best month I'd ever had I was the best month my children have ever had it was the best month with regards to my relationship and my connections and all of that so it took about a month for me to see the benefits of it mm-hmm. um, but after that it was like there was no going back because um, the life I had before was very cha- like chaotic and um, you know, I'm trying to fit in a 16 minute workout before I got to take the kids to hockey and I'm trying to juggle this and I'm trying to make supper and it's like, Oh shit, I forgot supper. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do something later. Just cause I was trying to squeeze in a few moments to myself, just a couple, um, that affected everybody else. Right. And it's not that I don't think that we can do things that do affect other people, but I mean, as a mom and someone who is married to a shift worker, and all of those things, it was the one thing that I was like, okay, this is where my self-care needs to happen. And I can get more in during the day. But if I know if I did it already, I'm not feeling stressed out about getting more. Yeah. And, you know, I found that as well. I, you know, especially when you step into this entrepreneurial world and you're trying to, it's a different type of routine as well. And 
you're trying to figure out and you know you listen to all the posts and you read the books and you watch the YouTubes and whatever and it's like if you want to be successful you have to have a good morning routine and probably for about a year I was I sort of fought that idea <laughs> you know pushing the snooze and not having that morning routine but it makes such a big difference um, oh. in how you engage with the kids and how calm you are and if we can just kind of get it out there to those mamas, you know, start with even five minutes earlier and see yes. how it feels and then work your way to 10, you know, make it small. So when, you know, now you've got this awesome routine five years now, what would you say are some of your overarching goals to feel success in your personal life? Oh, overarching goals to feel success in my personal life. I think that I, the, one of the things that I've, learned through meditation and being still and having time alone is just like finding joy, finding joy and adventure and fun in every little thing. Also gratitude. Uh, Gratitude's been huge for me. Um, Mm -hmm. And I remember, I remember when I realized that gratitude was super um, helpful to me because I had been diagnosed with cancer and I was driving home from the hospital and I, my thoughts in my head were like, well, I'm glad it's not this kind. And I'm so thankful this isn't happening to one of my kids. Oh my gosh. Like these were the thoughts that went through my head. Whereas before it would have been like, oh my God, this sucks. What am I going to do? How am I going to deal with the kids? And it was like, I had really created this like mind shift for myself just by writing down what I was grateful for every day. And um, even now it's like, some days are hard. Like I'll be like, I'm grateful for coffee. I'm grateful for coffee creamer. (laughs) I'm grateful for my coffee machine. Like some days are freaking hard, but then some days I like write forever and um, it just changes the way you feel. It changes um, the way you look at the world. And I think one of the things that I, I want to show people or um, don't get me wrong. I have really shitty days sometimes, but I mean like outwardly, like, this is work that comes from looking in. This Mm -hmm. is work that comes, it can't be found all over the place um, unless you do the inner work to be like, oh, I see joy in this. Oh, I see positivity in this. And you're not just going to see positivity. You really got to go in and do the inner work. Um, So I think that's where I'm like figuring it out in my personal life because I have been through this like massive traumatic stuff where I spent a lot of time like distracting myself but I know now when I distract myself I know I've got to dig in because okay what am I distracting from what it's this huge awareness piece that I have now like oh okay last week I decided that I was going to paint the cupboards in my trailer yeah I had a million other things that I needed to be doing but I was like let's paint the trailer and (laughs) Now I'm about 25 hours in and fully committed, but I had to sit back and go, okay, what am I distracting from? Because as much as I want this done, I have a million other things that are on the plate right now. Why did I choose to do this at this moment? Yeah. Um, And a lot of things came up for me, right? Like I'm distracting. Um, But also at the same time, I was like, no, I, you know, I needed a project outside of work. Um, I needed a project that was like numbing, not numbing, but like mindless that I didn't have to sit in front of a computer to figure out every day. Yeah. I don't want to learn. I'm done learning. I just need a break from learning. So there was Mm -hmm. this distraction piece, but I also saw saw it in like the therapeutic piece too. So um, yeah, I think it's just that understanding 
understanding uh, that awareness. Why is this showing up for me again? Why, you know, and um, choosing joy. Mm-hmm. And you know what, like some of the stuff that you said, and as I'm sitting in and listening and, you know, hearing what you're saying is that, you know, figuring out who you are and what brings you peace and that gratitude and joy. But that also is so much of the work that you do with the first responders partners of who are you and what is this, what does this world mean? And, and what does this bring, you know, for you? Because it is a lot of work um, to be able to get to this place, especially where you're at, to be able to say, what am I distracting myself from? Because like you were talking about the bedtime routine, you know, lots of people can't go to bed and read the book because their mind is just spinning with all of the stuff, the good, the bad, and usually the bad (laughs) takes over. So we have the glass of wine and we watch the Netflix until we drift off to sleep at one o'clock in the morning. And then we wonder why our day kind of goes sour because we can't get up at six to, you know, have those few moments to ourselves. And so I think that's a really, really good point for the personal and professional sides of ourselves, you know, you, me, and any of those other women that are listening, first responders, whoever might be listening today to our podcast is that who are you and how are you finding that joy and that gratitude? And are you doing avoidance because there's some tough stuff that you need to manage? Yes. And that's like that huge self-discovery piece. Um, Just asking them questions. They'll be like, Oh my gosh, I had no idea that that's what was going to come out of my mouth. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Because they have avoided it so long. They've numbed it. They've distracted. They've, you know, swept it under the table. Um, because it is tough, you know, in order to do these things, you have to get really uncomfortable, um, have hard conversations, do things you've never done before. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, we, we carry a lot of um, stuff, limiting beliefs from our parents or our teachers or our coaches or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And we, we believe them to be true. And we just carry out our life like that. So we, we are responsible for the things we believe, the things that we carry forth the things we choose to let go of. Um, I did a, a thing the other day with a group of first responders spouses and it was like, I was telling them about like the sack of shit that we like carry around all the time. Like, Oh, it's just, you know, I'm like, what if you just put it down? What mm-hmm. if you just decided to like drop it? Tell me what life would look like if you just dropped all that crap you're carrying around from whatever, like an ex-boyfriend or a childhood memory or you know, whatever. And they were like, Oh, this is what my life would look like. I'm like, okay, let's go from here. Right. Yeah. Because you're choosing to carry this around. And I'm not saying that's tra- like trauma and stuff like that. That's something that needs to be worked through with a, a huge, prof- like professionally. Um, but I mean, a lot, a lot of that stuff is you can pick through it and be like, okay, I can let go of this. Okay. I can let go of this. Um, and a lot of, a lot of it is about us not being enough typically. Um, so we, we give that to ourselves and we believe these things that have been handed down to us. But when you start actually going through and going, what do I believe? Um, you can remove a lot of that fluff and things that have been given to you, not even things that are yours, <laughs> things other people gave you. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of cool to, like, break down those walls and, you know, be exposed and naked that's vulnerable and it's hard and a lot of people don't love it but when they get to build themselves back up as the person they want to be um it's incredible so cool so cool yeah and I do similar I call it the backpack of emotions and the tough stuff 
Yeah. And to get people to write all the kinds of different things, you know, way back to childhood that they're carrying around with them and how heavy that backpack feels. Yeah. And breaking it down piece by piece, because you're right. A lot of it isn't theirs to carry and own. So it is pretty cool work when you're doing that um, work with people and especially um, these first responders, partners and spouses and, and managing and helping them. So what would you tell those mamas out there, what are your words of wisdom? Because you have two little guys mm-hmm. and, you know, a partner and a job and now making it into this amazing not-for-profit. You're a busy lady. <laughs> I'm a busy lady. I am. Yeah. So what what pieces of advice, what words of wisdom would you like to, you know, share with any of those mamas out there, whether they're first responders, uh, spouses, or, you know, just a mama? Oh, can you hear my dog in the background? I can a little. It's okay. Oh my gosh. This is part of COVID and working from home and all of these cool (laughs) things we live with. (laughs) I would say put your dog outside before you record a podcast. Um, (laughs) I, you know what I would say, like, be present. That is one thing that I have struggled with. And I believe that my training has very, as a corrections officer, gave me that like hypervigilance, that um, constantly thinking like, okay, if this happens, this is what I'll do. Okay. If this happens and this is what I'll do. Um, and I think one of the things that I have been focusing on um, for sure more in the last couple of years is choosing to be present And um, it does come along with time management because sometimes I'm like, okay, I can't be present with the kids at this moment because I have to do this thing. But like when you are with the kids or when you are with your spouse, um, choosing to be present and listening and showing up for those relationships because those are those are your people. Those are the people that will be there when things are tough. Those are the people that will hold you. Um, And I've been very disconnected for a very long time based on trauma um like that disassociation piece I don't have great I don't have good memory um based on some of the things that I've been through so I'm always constantly trying to piece together things but I know when I'm very conscious about being present with the kids or being present with my husband I feel a lot happier and I give myself that permission to be like this is all that matters right now you don't have to worry about what's coming you don't have to worry about tomorrow you do not have to worry about what to make for supper. It will happen. It will yeah. happen. It yeah. might be cereal, but it. <laughs> I have a magnet on my fridge that says if I just wait long enough, everyone will eat cereal. Um, <laughs> but you know what? It doesn't matter because I know that when we look back on this time, it won't be like, oh, remember mom didn't make supper three days in a row? Because we, we were in the backyard playing in the pool or we, you know, were on a long walk or we went on a little adventure or something like that. So I think that's probably my number one for moms because we have so many things going on. We struggle to prioritize sometimes yeah. what is, what is the most important thing I should be doing right now. And um, if it's being with your kids or your spouse or your family, um, I say just like choose to be present. And a lot of times that is very conscious when we have so many things going on. And it's, I have to constantly remind myself because my mind drifts away. It's like meditation, right? It's like when the thing beeps, 
come back every time the thing beeps. I'm way off here. Yeah. Like, <laughs> way off. Even to this day, I'm like, geez, let's pull it together for 45 seconds. Um, but it's, you know, it's choose. It's a choice. It's a choice and you have to work at it and it does get easier. But, um, you know, I'm, tr- I'm, I'm trying to be very inclusive with those people to say, this is your time. You have my undivided attention. Yeah. And it's so important because you're right. I mean, we can get caught up with the dishes and the laundry and, you know, the kids saying, can you come play with me? Yeah. In five minutes, can you come and do this with me? Yeah. Just give me three more minutes. I need to get this done. And I think over these last three years that I've been doing very similar uh, to what you have in relation to being present is I told myself a few years ago when I left a job where I was feeling exhausted and burnt out and all of these things that I was going to say yes to my kids to connect because the dishes will still be there. And you know what? The breakfast for dinner, that's actually memories. We love when we have to do breakfast for dinner. It's not often, but we definitely do it here as well. And why not? (laughs) Yeah. They won't die. They're going to be just fine. No, exactly. And actually, they think it's kind of fun sometimes. They totally do. They to- My yeah. kids totally do, too. And sometimes I'll just be like, okay, we're making sandwiches. And one will be like, well, he has peanut butter and jam. Can I have this? And I'm like, yeah, right? Like, if I have to make a grilled cheese and a peanut butter jam sandwich, I'm in. Like, that's easy. But yeah. the one thing I, I noticed, too, when I became very present um, with my husband and my children and my people um, – that behaviors change, right? Like my kids behavior was different. Um, you know, when I do a date with my husband once a month, we, we started this years ago and we still do it. COVID changed things a bit. Like, yeah, we're literally literally like driving around parking in a parking lot with coffee, (laughs) so we could have 10 minutes together, but I mean, whatever. Um, it changed, it changed the way we communicated. It changed my children's behaviors because they knew like, okay, mom has to work this morning. So we're going to give her this gift. And then she's going to give us back a gift later, like mm-hmm. that time later when we make cookies or whatever, will just be mine. Yeah. Um, and they, and they learned really quickly, like, oh, okay, she'll have to work now, but we're going to do a family thing later. So yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. Behavior has and- changed and It does. And you know, something that I talk a lot about um, when I work with families and parents as well is it's quality over quantity. You know, Mm -hmm. with COVID right now, we're home all day. And my 14 year old, for example, is busy doing school and then he wants to hang out with his friends or do his video games so he can connect with his friends, you know, or whatever that might be. And if we can sit and watch a TV show together for half an hour on the couch and then talk about it and like, you know, have a good laugh together and share about our day, he would much rather that connection time when his brother and sister are in bed and we're spending that time, you know, really connecting than Mm -hmm. me spending four hours just like kind of hanging out with him. So right. Yeah. Yeah. That real present quality time and doing what they want to do, you know, meeting them where, what they want to do. Like, you know, my oldest loves watching, we love watching like tiny home and he's totally into architecture and design and things like that. And my daughter's into, you know, TikTok and making recipes and, (laughs) yeah, you know, connect with them with what they want to do and be present in their world. It doesn't always have to be what we think is connecting. Exactly. Yeah. That's so like my son and I, he wanted to make a YouTube channel and I've been against this for a long time, but I mean, right now I'm like, okay, whatever. So that we, I said, you know what? I took a YouTube course. I'm going to tell you what I learned. Yeah. And I was like, okay. So I was like, you have to have like 
a hundred things that you're going to make videos about. What are the things you're going to make? And he's like, mom, I never thought about that. Like, so we're like, uh, and he's like, I was just going to make Roblox videos. I'm like, well, that's kind of boring. So I was like, well, why don't we, you know, teach them about Roblox skins and then we'll teach them about this. And and he's like, oh, you're so smart. But he was like into every second of it, like every second of my, my YouTube learning whatever but yeah and he <laughs> he'll ask me about it now so that I can actually be a part of the YouTube not I'm, I don't want to be in the video but I mean I'm like oh, okay this is what he's doing today so I know what he's doing and he'll come up yeah. and ask me and um even that is you know like that connection piece um for the two of us and I'll be like show me your video it's like no mom it didn't work out it wasn't very good um and I'm like yeah but your first ones aren't going to be good I remember my first videos they were horrific. yeah yeah, and I'm like trying to hide them in the internet. Like, oh my gosh, I don't want anyone to see that. I don't want anyone to see these. I know, <laughs> I know. We learn along the way, right? We do. So, yeah, what would be do. some of your parting words for people, whether it's in that professional world or the personal world, or what would be some of your your parting words for people? Oh, do you? <laughs> that I agree. One. That's a do good one. You. You and I, I've had this conversation with a lot with um, the first responder spouses and, you know, the deleting of the, like, I've had to block these friends and I've had to do this. And, um, you know, not everybody's going to like us. Not everybody's going to agree with us. Um, And you have those people that will and you have those people that won't. And that's okay. Not everybody has to agree on everything. And I think Mm -hmm. that's like what I'm finding right now is like, that's my advice is like, just do you. And then if you do that, I promise the people that are supposed to leave will leave. The people that are supposed to come will come. Yeah. And And doesn't it feel like you can put that, that backpack down or that, you know, that heavy weight down when you're like, I actually just have to care about me and those people in my home or that are, you know, are my world. Like, that's all I need to do. Doesn't that just feel lighter even in that? Yes. I, I, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's a different way. Yeah, I feel like the bubble gets smaller yeah. so we can focus our attention on the things that um, we want to be attentive to um, mm-hmm. and we can remove the things that aren't serving us when we yeah. just, whether it's like, oh, okay, well, that person's mad because I said this. Okay, well, that isn't working for me right now. And, you know, people come and go and things come and go and experiences shape the way that we do things so it's like just do you that's it that's all you gotta do yeah yeah absolutely so Lauren how can people connect with you if they want to learn more if they want to become involved in your in your community how can people connect with you what's the best ways um Instagram's a good one so uh my coaching business is called break complacency um and the nonprofit is called to serve and connect um, I find Instagram, like Instagram wasn't my thing, but until recently, it's like, I'm getting a lot more, um, connections through Instagram. Uh, Facebook is the same break complacency to serve and connect. You can add me as a friend. I'm not one of those people that's like, don't add people. My stuff's not <laughs> private. Although my husband is like, what? Um, so <laughs> <laughs> and the first responder spouse is like it's coming out of my mouth going oh I'm going to be in trouble for this um, yeah. because we are so private and we are like hidden on the internet um, yeah just Lauren it's, it's 
I think it comes up as Lauren Hope Cleveland. And then uh, my website is Lauren Dash Cleveland. I had to I had a Wix website. I don't know if you understand the website world, but you can't move a domain from Wix. I know. So yeah. I had to change my domain, but I mean, um, the people that follow me are, are there anyway. So, um, yeah. Okay. Awesome. And I'll make sure all of this is in our show notes so that people can connect with you via Instagram or, or by Facebook and they can find their way with me and I can put them in touch with you. So I want to say a huge thank you for being here today. I'm grateful for you. We have just come into each other's worlds over the last couple of months and it's been really fun getting learn more about what you do and maybe we'll actually get to see each other in person I know. one day. I, <laughs> thank you so much for having me. This was super fun. I really appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to your Fiercely Fabulous Life podcast. Be sure to share with any woman in your life who needs just a little bit more. Be sure to follow me on my socials and I look forward to seeing you again next time. Bye for now.